everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, we continue with week three of our Keeping It 100 series. First, we started out talking about truth. And really, this series, the premise of this is to look at what truth is. Not just what, but who truth is and who defines truth. Because we can talk about keeping it real or keeping it 100, but many times we don't even know what that is. And so week one, we unpacked not only what is truth, but who is truth. We looked at the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the full embodiment of truth. And God has also given us his word, which is the full and infallible embodiment of truth. That God is truth. Jesus is the word. The word became flesh. And so that we have truth accessible to us. Everything in the world that we see is not just open to interpretation. Last week, Micah Davis was here. Shout out for Micah Davis listening here. We love Micah Davis, the Davis family. He was here and he was talking about love. And not just what love is, but who love is. God is love. And God has not left love up to a Wikipedia page to figure out what it is. It's not open source material. As boundless as his love is, he has actually defined his love so that we can understand it and also identify counterfeits. Y'all with me this morning? And this morning, we continue in this vein of truth, really talking about something that as much as love and truth has become such, not just a hot-button topic for this culture and in this season and in this time of life, But it's actually been an all-out battle since the beginning. And that is identity. Identity. And the thing that we often talk about when it comes to identity is, who am I? But the real question and the real key to this issue of identity is not, who am I, but whose am I? That determines everything. That determines everything. And so I want to start out by reading Psalm 100, verse 3. Now, usually, if you've been around here, you know I like to read out of the ESV. But for this specific scripture, man, the KJV just has it for me this morning. So we're going to read. We're going to go to the these and thous this morning. God bless you. Some of y'all are just like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Your provision is here. Uh, It's all right. So Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. I want to say that one more again. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Help us this morning. Lord, I know that so many of us, Lord, it's, it's not just so many of us, all of us, for all of us, it's impossible for us to see you apart from you giving us the grace to do so. Apart from you bringing revelation. So Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to see your love, to see who it is that you are and who you've called us to be. Lord, I ask that you would help every person in here to identify the bonds and the chains that we can so easily forget are what they are. They don't bring comfort. They don't bring life. They don't, they are not who we are. They have been placed on us and they are placed on us to hold us captive. Jesus, you said you came to set the captives free. So I pray the spirit of freedom would be released here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach. So when my wife and I went through this valley seven years ago, one of the ways that God had challenged us was and really inspired us and spoke to us was that we were to respond by writing songs about the resurrection and writing songs about worshiping in the midst of heartache and suffering. Now, part of why he instructed us to do that is because we actually love and really enjoy writing songs, songwriting. And um, it's a passion that God placed in my heart at a really, really young age. That was really my encounter with the Lord as a child when I gave my life to the Lord and surrendered my life to the Lord. I was just making up songs and singing to him on the porch on a rainy day. And so songwriting had always been something that I really enjoyed. Thankfully, my songwriting has developed over the years. Uh, Back in the day, I remember, I, I specifically remember the very first song that I wrote, like didn't just have it in my brain, but I actually took time to write it after I'd, you know, learned how to write. And uh, I wrote it in number two pencil on like a little ripped out notebook page from one of my writing assignment notebooks. We were homeschooled, so it was one of those little notebooks and, and pages. And, and I was so, like this song that I wrote on this page, it was so precious to me, right? Because there's probably so many misspellings on this thing. Um, but I, I was so proud of my song that I would fold it up and keep it in my pocket all the time. I was like, this is my song. And, uh, of course, I, I was not versed in music theory. Uh, I didn't understand how to put together a chord chart or any sheet music, but you could not tell me that this was not a song that was in my pocket. And uh, I remember we were, one Sunday, we were actually visiting a church, and when I think back about it, I didn't really think about it at the time, but now when I have, you know, been a part of a church plant and we set up in a YMCA, uh, one of my friend's kids came in one time and he said the most, just the cutest thing. He goes, oh! <gasps> The YMCA meets in your church? It's like, yes, that's it. You got it. Um, but this church that we were visiting, uh, I, I, now that I look back, at it, it was in a school, so I'm guessing they were a church plant, and they had the, my age group, the children's church class, actually met in like 
a little cafeteria area. And so here I am. We're just visiting this church. I've never been there before. I was feeling a little bit shy this morning, but I had my song in my pocket. And so we're doing introductions, and they ask you to say your name, and what are you interested in? Of course, they put this spotlight on me because I'm this new kid, and I was, we were probably like the only brown people in that setting. So we could sit out a little bit. Um, and, and so I just told him, I was like, well, you know, my name is John, and I mean, I, I like to write songs. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. That's great. I was like, yeah, I have one in my pocket. And the teacher was like, what? <laughs> and so I pulled it out, and I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, do you want to sing it for us? And, and in this moment, I was like, I was excited about my song, but I was embarrassed to be in this class. I didn't know anybody. And so I did something that out of just reactionary, I just, they had these two kids that were like the hosts that day, and I go, I don't want to sing it, but you can. (laughs) And so I saw terror just hit these two kids as they got this folded, you know, piece of paper, and they unfolded it, and um, they kind of were like, okay. (laughs) And they proceeded to sing, you know, in the morning, I will praise you, hallelujah, for making me. Now, i just like to inform you, that's not what I wrote, all right? What these little kids did not know is that we sang a lot of Andre Crouch and Stevie Wonder in our house, right? that they probably had no clue was, you know, so they didn't understand. It was supposed to say, in the morning when I wake up, sing hallelujah for making me. That's what it's supposed to sound like, (laughs) right? But they didn't know that. But I knew it. Why did I know it? Because I wrote it. And I had the authority to say what it was supposed to sound like. Because I was the author. And we are in a world right now with so much confusion and so many well-meaning people like those kids being handed material and having no clue how it's supposed to sound and no clue what it's supposed to look like. And no clue what was the intent or the spirit in which it was designed. And at the same time, just jacking it up. And rather than go to the author and and discover why something was created and why we were fashioned and why we were designed, the default has been, well... You just figure that out. You determine what you want it to be. And the problem is, we don't have the authority. The scripture says, we didn't make ourselves. The author has the authority to define identity. Write that down. Put in your phone. The author has the authority to define identity. This isn't a new issue. 
This has happened, it began in, in the garden, this battle for deciding who are you to say who I am. One of my favorite musicals right now, or musical movies, is The Greatest Showman, right? Ah, like, I just get so hyped when that drops. When that beat drops, I don't care who you are, you're like, like, this is amazing. My heart starts jumping. I get hyped. And one of the best songs, and you probably, if you, even if you didn't see the movie, there was like this video being circulated on Facebook of one of the hit songs, This Is Me. And it gets put out there, and it's really a song that resonates with so many of us because essentially the spirit of it is, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And though it's, man, it's a declaration that sounds so great, and so true, and we want to rally around it, the deception behind that is, is that it's almost a way to console ourselves that whatever I'm dealing with, struggling with, whatever has defined me, you could take it or leave it because it's not changing. And what every person on the planet must know is that you, apart from God, is jacked up. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care if your mama and your daddy and your granddaddy and your great-granddaddy were deacons and deaconesses. Since the fall of man in Genesis to today, until Jesus Christ returns, every person that is born in this earth is born in a sin nature and born a distorted version of what you were intended to be. And we hate that. We hate that. Don't tell me that what I am is tainted. Don't tell me. Who are you to tell me that what I am isn't right? Who are you to tell me that this this desire and these feelings, these genuine feelings that I've had before I even know what feelings were, how are you to tell me that that's wrong? I'm not on anybody. Why? Because I don't have the authority. I didn't make you. People ask questions and they want to know, you know, as for a pastor and a minister in this day and age, what do you think about this? What do you define this as? And I just think to myself, I didn't make you. I don't have that authority. I know someone who does. No amens on that. That's okay. It's all right. I didn't write this book. I didn't make me. You didn't make you. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God has already been working. God, the author of all life, the great creative, the great designer, You know, as someone who loves the creative arts and loves designing, and I I, I just love the way God set things up. You know, he goes and he looks at the earth that was without form and void, and he does what any creative does when you're sitting down to design something. He's got to get the lighting just right, right? Let there be light. Need some good lights. I don't like those fluorescents. Let's get it. He sets the light. Come on, come on, Jessica. Y'all give a hand to Jessica, our lighting designer. 
She said, that's my jam. <laughs> hey, Shondo. Uh, thank God for our lighting director. Uh, but he said, let there be light. And then he proceeds to create and to author. And part of that design is definition. He set borders for the water and the land. Whenever those borders are crossed, you know what we call that? A flood. That's why we don't like get excited when a flood is happening, right? He set designs, he set, he, he created and defined plant life and animals and fish and birds. He determined what natural cycles would take place with the weather and the sun and the moon and the stars and the rotation of the earth. And then in verse 26, he does something so special and so powerful is he's in the designing process of you and I. He says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God, out of all of the creation, his design for us was that we would bear his image. That we'd look like our daddy. That we would represent his image, the imago Dei, the image of God walking all over the earth. So then, not only do we see the design conference happening among the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we actually get a glimpse of the actual design process in chapter 2, where it says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. If we have any uh, sculpting uh, people that have worked with clay before, you know what it's talking about. He's, He's wetting the clay. And it says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And he forms us. And he shapes us. And he defines us. And it says, he breathed into his nostrils and the the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God made us. He formed us. He fashioned us. He breathed his life into us. And not just to look like him, but to be even an extension of him in the earth. You see, he didn't just make Adam and then put him up on some like, you know, heavenly mantle, right? And just say, all right, good job, me. Don't mess anything up. No. He didn't make us just to put us up and put us aside. He actually fashioned us to be his family and to rule and reign on the earth. He gave us 
authority in the same way that he created. He fashioned you and he fashioned me that like when he spoke and he Galaxies were formed and land was developed and birds were flying. He designed us that when we speak, things have impact. That when we speak, atmospheres change. That when we speak, things take form. That when we speak, life breaks forth. And he gave us authority over the place he placed us in. But here's the problem. There's this enemy we don't like to talk about the enemy sometimes. Because sometimes we think, oh, it's just so spooky, the devil. But we have a real adversary. And he hates you. And he hates God. And he hates anyone that would have any relationship or connection or be given any calling that has come from God because he completely messed his situation up. Because he wanted to be the object of worship and praise. But here in chapter 3, the enemy in the form of a serpent comes to Eve, and where he comes to deceive her is in the area of identity and definition. Follow with me. It's in chapter 3, and uh, I'm going to start in here in verse 1. Y'all do that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? He's questioning the authorship. You shall not eat. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, scholars that have studied this have said it's not just about knowledge. It's about having the authority to determine good and evil. To say, to to have the power to take the power of the pen of the authorship out of the hand of the creator and say, from this point forward, I will define what is right. And it was as a result of this deception and this disobedience that immediately sin entered the world. And the untarnished, perfect creation immediately was now stained with sin. Have you ever like got like a new outfit and then you made the mistake of eating Italian? I honestly, I used to be paranoid of wearing anything white because I was just like, we were just, we would put, we would throw down in my family. Oldest of seven, like when that food came, you didn't, nobody had to give you permission. We prayed because, you know, we, we were always saved in that regard. Uh, at least our table was saved. And uh, when that food got on there, it was just like, ba 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 And during that process, you know, a lot of sauce would fly. And, you know, whether we were eating Mexican or something, it didn't, it's like once that staying, it's in there, especially if it's a sauce and you don't have like those like hyper, like we didn't have Google back there. You couldn't like, what gets out marinara? Like, <laughs> some of y'all know because you just Googled that. You're like, ooh, I need to remember that. Okay. And, and you have this brand new shirt and you would just hope that the stain was in a place where you could kind of like tuck it in or hide it. Because there's just some stains that they weren't coming out. There was not enough OxyClean or like a Tide pen strong enough 
to get that stain out. So what did you try to do? You just try to hide it. I'll just, put, you know, I'll just wear a jacket with this now. I like this jacket anyway. <laughs> That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. All of a sudden, there was a stain that they could not remove. Humanity was ever marked with a stain that nothing can get it out. And so what do we do with a stain we can't get out? Well, we do what Adam and Eve did. They tried to cover it. They go and they find these fig leaf covers and they, they hide themselves and they hide their shame and they hide this mark that they have now been marked with. Like if you've ever, when you were a kid, if, if there was something you were playing and all of a sudden you accidentally stained the carpet or if you're a husband, your wife was out of town, you accidentally like jacked something up and you're like, oh, she's going to come back. Well, we're just going to move the couch now. <laughs> Flip the cushion. She won't notice. Oh, no, honey, the, the zipper's always been on top. What do you mean? <laughs> but no, we try to hide it. We try to cover it up. We try to come up with some reasoning why it's all fine. It's like that gif of the dog in a burning house. This is fine. We want our brokenness to be ignored rather affirmed. We want the new bonds and the slavery and the oppression that we have entered into and that we've been marked with to just be seen as this is how I was designed to be. Because anything else, quite frankly, terrifies us. It terrified Adam and Eve They'd never known anything but love and affection of a perfect father. They'd never known anything but complete acceptance and overwhelming provision. But yet, immediately, they have this need to hide? He asked them a question that I believe is even a greater question than who am I? He asked them, where are you? Where are you? And it's then where they began to reveal themselves and what this brokenness that had entered into the world. And ever since then, ever since then, sin that cannot, the enemy cannot create. I want you to know this. Every good and perfect thing comes from God particularly as one who's grown up and has a deep passion and a conviction and and an ownership when it comes to the expression of the arts, there is not an art form that the roots of it did not come from God. The devil is a, he cannot author anything but lies. Now he's a co-signer and he's a sampler. So if you ever heard like some of y'all, I hate to say this because when I say this, whenever I say this, I come across like the old dude in the room, because we're like, man, y'all don't even know what music is. I love music all different forms. Like, I got love, you know, from all kinds of things, except for the Baby Shark thing. I ain't got no love for Baby Shark right now. Um, but a lot of times what it breaks my heart is when there's a new, so- a new song that comes out, and people are talking about, oh, it's the new song of the year, and you listen to it, and you're like, no, nah, bro, that beat came out like 30 years ago. That was actually sampled from Minnie Ripperton, from Smokey Robinson, from this person. And people don't even realize who it is that they're listening to. 
but it was a sample was taken from it and rewritten and distorted, chopped and screwed and presented for whatever means. And we live right now, all of us, if you live your life and you receive your information just based on the cultural norms of the day, no wonder we would be confused. No wonder we would take offense if anyone would speak anything against what we've experienced. Why? Because ever since then, ever since the garden, every human that's been born has been born into a world of sin, has been born into a distorted expression of God's design. Do you hear me? And so where we contend to lean is we create these hard anger, frustration, fear-filled battles because when we hear this truth and we look at what God's Word says and how He defines us, the first thing that we oftentimes feel, depending on if we just get a little snippet or this one scripture or this one thing that's been taken context, is we feel a deep despair and rejection and a condemnation because we recognize that my life does not line up with what he says about it. And so if I identify in this way or that way, if I think this or that about myself and it's inconsistent or somebody's telling me that it's not right, those are fighting words. And because you're making me feel bad or you're telling me something that cuts me, you don't love me. Now, if it stops at separation, if it stops a condemnation, then you really haven't heard the full truth. Because this truth is good news. This truth, fully applied and demonstrated and communicated, is actually great news. What you have to understand is immediately, I'll just put it this way, in songwriting terms. When a song is written, you basically have a couple halves. You have two halves of a song. You're going to get a little music business lesson this morning. There is the writer's portion, which is 50%, and there is the publisher's portion, which is 50%. Think of a big pie. Half is writers, half is publishers. The publisher's portion is generally what a lot of record companies want, and it gives them whoever owns the publishing rights essentially owns the right to distribute, to exploit, to promote it, and so whenever uh, someone wants to come and record it, they have to pay a fee for the usage of that song. But ultimately, the author has the power to determine what the song is. Y'all with me? So what happens in a general sense is when you're writing a song, you will have this discussion, if you, especially if you're among different writers. Sometimes people want all their publishing. Many times record labels, if they have you as a staff writer, they will automatically own 100% of the publishing portion. Or sometimes you'll negotiate. 
and you'll give them a little bit of the publishing in exchange for them to exploit or promote your music. Are you guys with me? You still with me? All right. Really, when it comes down to these portions, a lot of it, what it comes down to is who controls the use and who controls the presentation and who can do with it what they please. Now, if you're a writer, for most part, most writers, they want to own their songs. Why? Because then I can choose its usage. Somebody can't go out and just twist it and jack it up without me being able to give word to it. God, when he created man, he authored. He was the author. He has empowered us. He empowered us and designed us on the earth to be the manifestation or the exploitation or the demonstration of his image on the earth. When sin came into the earth, essentially when the enemy came and he enticed us, we thought what we were getting, just like so many artists, my heart breaks because I see so many artists in the industry, what they want is power, what they want is fame, what they want is to be the next star that's on the, on the tour and making all the money. And so it sounds so enticing because just like, you know, some little sly managers and regulars like, hey, baby, baby, you're amazing, you're amazing, I love you, you know what I'm going to tell you, you're the next big thing. I'm going to make you a star, but all you need to do is just sign right here, okay? It's just a little thing. It just gives me the publishing rights. It's no big deal. It's nothing. It's nothing. Just sign this. You're going to be amazing. In reality is, once that is signed over, they have all the power and control. And the enemy tried to entice humanity by saying, hey, listen. Do you really want to be like God? He's holding you back. He doesn't want you to do this because then you'll be like him. She was already like him. Humanity thought we were getting a deal. If I give over the publishing rights, I'll be big. What, humanity, what, what Adam and Eve didn't realize is they were actually signing over their authority. And now the enemy on the earth was given authority to distort and to shift and to mutilate the message. And so now the enemy distorts what truth is, distorts what love is, and more dreadfully distorts who you are. Now, one thing that people know is when it comes to song rights, there's a price. Record labels will spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to buy somebody's catalog. Michael Jackson owned the Beatles catalog because Michael Jackson had Michael Jackson money, <laughs> right? There's certain catalogs. I mean, if you want to buy my catalog, we can talk, right? <laughs> There's probably like, hey, we, <laughs> I got a bunch of kids, y'all. They got to eat. <laughs> They're growing. But each catalog comes with a price tag, and there was a price for the publishing rights, for, for the rights of humanity, for the original songs that had been written and designed to be restored to proper ownership. And the price was blood, was death. For years, 
there was a temporary solution, and that was the sacrificing of animals through the temple system. You can look at this in the scripture throughout the Old Testament if you've grown up in the church. You maybe you might be familiar with it. If you haven't, essentially, for people would go to the temple and they would sacrifice animals in exchange for a covering of their sins. But God knew that it wasn't enough because he didn't want a short-term agreement. He wanted an eternal agreement. And so God came in the person of Jesus to pay the full price so that we would once again those who would receive and believe would be able to not just be brought back into the fold, but actually made new. That now, those of us who had been identified and we had been marked by sin. And you know what? There's a thing. Sin has a funny way of convincing you over time that it is just you. Like, I don't know if anybody has had an ailment or a physical ailment. Maybe you got an injury in high school or in college or whatever, and, like, people see you now, and when you show up to the reunion, like, they just think you just, you know, you just got that swag. Like, you just got a little hitch in the giddy-up. <laughs> what they don't realize is that the reason you walked that way is because of an injury you received. That wasn't how you were made. That was, that was, that was a mishap. But you just begin to own these things. Sometimes we, we walk in, these, in shame, we walk in, in pain, we walk in sin, and it becomes such a part of us that we, not only we, but the people around us don't even realize that's not who we were made to be, designed to be. The scripture says in Galatians, when we come in, we receive the gift of salvation. When we surrender our lives to Christ, he doesn't just take where we were and create, like, a resuscitated version of it. We're actually called to die of our old self. It says in Galatians 20, uh, 2, chapter, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does that mean? It means that in Christ, we become who we were designed to be. In Christ, the mark of sin is removed. It is put to death. We are not just, it's not like if, you, if you've seen that show or maybe you've been a victim uh, where you just got a really bad tattoo. And it's like, well, we're going to fix that. We're going to turn that devil horn into a tiara, right? <laughs> like I've seen some stuff. There was a girl, I'll just be, be real. There's this girl we were trying, we were praying for her. She was at this restaurant and she was always taking the money. And I was praying, Lord, bring her to the church, get her in a small group. Lord, I'm just, you're going to do a great work. And then I went one day and I was just ready to invite her to our next worship thing. And I look on her arm and there was this big naked devil woman all on her arm. And I thought, dang. Because I just pictured my first lady at the church looking at her and be like, oh, hey, here's a sweater. <laughs> 
Um, and, I, and while we were sitting at the lunch table, I'm not even joking, this is just an awkward conversation. We're sitting here like, okay, well, how can we get that tattoo changed? How can we repurpose that? God doesn't want to repurpose your cadaver. He's not trying to make the deadness in our lives look better. Like what we, what we at times, maybe we don't say this, but what we really want is we want to come to a church and we recognize like maybe our brokenness, but we don't want to like fully recognize it. We don't want to get rid of it because we've been used to it so long. We're like, I mean, I know you guys say we got to put this to death, but if you put on a little bit of cologne, you won't notice the dead smell. If you put some, if you put some real nice clothes, you know, then maybe we could just, let's just hold on this thing a little bit longer. God doesn't want to make you mostly dead. He wants to kill the old person so that you can rise in newness of life. So that you can rise and be defined the way you were intended to be defined. As a perfectly designed vessel and representation of his image. Now, he knew you couldn't do it by yourself. Why? Because we were born into sin nature. And so he sent himself in Jesus so that we could receive Jesus. And in Christ, who lived the life that we should have lived, he lived a perfect life. He died the death that we should have died in our place, satisfying the full payment and the full weight and the full cost of sin. He himself, being the author, took it upon himself to extend his authority and bring us once again into our right calling and design. So now, even in the midst of me still trying to navigate through my sin patterns and brokenness, I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm not defined by my desires. I was born with a genuine desire and attraction towards the opposite sex. I was born desiring things outside of the context of marriage, and I'm speaking in these terms because there are some younger ones who I'm not trying to defile this morning, but y'all can follow with me. I was born with desires that ain't right outside of the context of marriage. And I feel them, y'all notice I say I feel them, very earnestly. I used to think, when I get married, this won't even be an issue anymore. Because when you get married, like, you never have feelings for anybody else except for your spouse. And you're always happy, and it's always amazing. Don't be deceived. (laughs) I love my wife. She's amazing. Y'all know Kelly, she's the bomb. However... What I allowed is I allowed these things to define me for a while rather than allowing God's word to define me, not just to define me, but to define my relationships. What does that mean? Specifically, that means that, like the scripture says, men, you are to treat young women like sisters, and you are to treat older women like mothers. Now, if all of the men in here, married and single, were treating all of the women in here like sisters, and I'm not talking about like Western Kentucky sisters, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or Kentucky, uh, 
I was playing West Virginia. Uh, uh. I love Western Kentucky. I love West Virginia. God bless y'all. Y'all. But in the right way that we're supposed to treat our sisters, it would completely change how you've been handling that dating situation. Hey, we got some women that say amen to that. Some dudes are like, oh, man, dang, man, you're cutting me. You're messing with my Saturday night activities. I'm glad. We're keeping it real tonight. We're keeping it real this morning. It does. It changes things. And vice versa. If, if I'm allowing the author to define and I'm not being defined by the old ways, God defines my desires. He gives me grace to walk in newness of life. That also means that even in the midst, sometimes it's not being defined just by our sexuality or our sexual desires. It's being defined by even the things that we're dealing with in our body. There's been a time I, I struggled with a, um, a skin disease that caused me all kinds of discomfort and pain. And I remember just being beat up, just feeling, just, just feeling like a hot mess. And I would always feel silly when people would ask for, after a while, like, I had so many people pray for me for healing. And I remember sitting one time, and they asked, you know, does anybody have something, have an ailment, have have something they've been struggling with, they need healing, they want to be prayed for for healing? If that's you, raise your hand. And I remember having this moment, and just a really, just a moment of honesty and brokenness and and kind of being defeated, where I I didn't even want to ask. I remember thinking in my head, Man, I'm not going to raise my hand again. I guess this is just who I am now. Like, I don't, this is just what I'm going to have to deal with. And I got so tired of fighting it that I just waved the white white flag and decided, you know what, this is just going to be me. Rather than allowing the author to define my design and receiving what he says. You know what he tells me? He says, I'm healed. He says, I'm healed. That means I might not fully feel it right now, but because of what he's done on the cross, in the fullness of time, this body is going to be scar-free. This body is going to be toxin-free. This body's not going to be known. When you see me in eternity, you're not going to be looking at me based on my scars and my aches and my pains. You're going to see nothing but the goodness and the fullness of what Christ designed me to be. Our identity should come, ought to come from our author, from our designer. Anything else is a distortion. Zach, come up here, please. Um, This word of identity and, and this definition, it is... In the battle for authorship, it is not just an issue. I believe it is the issue. It is basically who's the boss. If, you know, we are going to, some of you who came last week or you maybe come last couple weeks, um, We've been talking about baptisms. We're going to be, we'll look at next month uh, to do some baptisms. But one of the things that is interesting about baptisms is baptism is not just a dunking. 
Baptism is not just about going underwater. Baptisms was a bold and a dangerous act of rebellion. During the time, the baptism for repentance of sin and coming alive in Jesus, it was basically a declaration that my old life, the old life that I controlled, the old life that was controlled by other things, that's being put to death. And when I rise up from this day forward, I am who God says I am. Every desire, every label, every issue that I've had in the past, I am no longer under its authority or its headship. Jesus is Lord, and whatever he says is what I am. Whatever he says I have, I have it. Whatever he says is brokenness and sin, I don't want anything to do with it. And whatever power that he's given me to walk in freedom, I fully embrace it. Unfortunately, just like was in the scripture as well, in Galatians, when Paul is writing this to this church in Galatia, when you read it, what you realize is he's writing this because there have been people that had come into the church, a sect of Judaism that was basically coming and trying to plant and seed certain things in to keep people bound. They were creating these distortions of the truth, of the way and the truth and the life that Jesus had preached to keep the people in the church from being fully free. And today, we have people under the banner of Christianity that have injected seeds of destruction and distortion of the truth so that you might short-term be deceived into thinking that you got the full thing or deceived into thinking that you still have to be, you know, there was a sect of Jews, they didn't like Gentiles getting saved. They wanted them to have to do things and keep certain customs. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That was put to death. You don't have to be ruled by that any longer. I want you to walk in freedom. I want to challenge us. There is no salvation. There is no freedom. There is no victory. There is no life. There is no true identity outside of the authority of Jesus Christ. If anybody tells you that you can get the full benefits of the kingdom while maintaining the position of the king, they're lying to you. Saying yes to God is saying yes to his lordship. Saying yes and fully yes to the love of God is saying, I surrender the pen. I surrender my rights to the author, to the finisher of my faith. 
God wants each and every one of us to experience the fullness of life and love in him. The reason we're here, the reason I preach this word is because I know that God has designed and fashioned every one of you, from the oldest of you to this precious young lady sitting on the second row with a beautiful flower in her hair. He's designed you and fashioned you to be amazing, to reflect his beauty in the earth, to be a demonstration of his power in the earth, to make people feel loved and joy because you walked in the room. And he wants you to experience the fullness of it. It comes by coming into him. You've seen glimpses of it. And sometimes we see enough to keep us pacified short term. But God actually wants you to experience real life, the fullness of it, not just a knockoff version. If you want that and you don't have it, if you know that even if you've been going to church, you're the boss of you. You're the boss of your life. Anything that somebody says or that this word says that comes in contradiction to you, you ultimately trump it. that's you, I want to invite you. The Lord wants to invite you to repent, to return, to be made new this morning. Bow your heads. Father, you and you alone know who you've designed us to be, who you've called us to be, who you made and fashioned us to be. Lord, what that is, gosh, it's become so foggy. Apart from your word, knowing your truth, there's so many broadcasts and magazines and blogs and airwaves and social media and well-meaning friends in all forms of education system and entertainment that is fighting to define us. So many sources that are fighting not only to define us, but to benefit from our distorted reality. And so often it can become easier to just find a bunch of people who agree with us or have the same baggage and brokenness to rally around that rather than actually coming to a place repentance, coming to a place of godly sorrow and recognizing how far we really are. Lord, it becomes a weight that's so unbearable, it can become so suffocating that we can hardly function. But yet, you carried the weight. You came and you took it upon yourself, knowing that we couldn't do enough. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't clean ourselves up enough. We couldn't not sin enough to be restored and to remove this stain. And so you took it upon yourself. You took on every scar. You took on every sickness. You took on every wrong label. You took on every temptation. And you were beaten and bruised and murdered in our place to satisfy that so that we didn't have to carry it. Lord, you didn't just die, 
but you rose victoriously three days later. Once and for all, proving that you were who you said you were. That you were, in fact, the Son of God. That you did have victory over sin, death, and the grave. That you had overcome sickness and disease. And not only that you were who you said you were, but that we were who you called us to be. That we were the sons and daughters. To be restored to our true identity meant to repent and to turn in and to put to death our false one. Lord, you know the false identities that we walk under. Lord, I know that there's people in this room, Lord, that they've never received you as Lord and Savior. You know who you are this morning. Even if you've attended church or not attended church, I know for most people in the Midwest, You've grown up in the Midwest or the South, it's like hard to escape a church like it is hard to escape oxygen. And yet, you've attended, you've visited, but you haven't surrendered. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender this morning. If you are sitting here and you say, I want, I recognize that God is the author, that Jesus has the authority to define, and I want to be defined. I don't want to be defined by sin. I don't want to be defined by my addiction. I don't want to be defined by my attraction. I don't want to be defined by my sickness. I want to be defined by Jesus. I want to be a son and a daughter of God. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Come on. I see that hand. That's you. Raise it. Raise it boldly. Come on. Yes. Yes. Father, I thank you that you see those who have raised their hands to you. But I thank you for the courage that you've given them to raise their hands, to not just attend, to not just go through the motions, but to say, I want to be fully defined by Jesus. I want to be marked by him. I want him to be in control. I want all that he has for me. But I thank you that you're moving in them and you're drawing them into a place of surrender. If that's you, what I want to ask you to do, I'm not going to ask you to say a quick prayer right now, but I want to tell you this. There are people that are going to be at City Central when we finish this. I want you to go stand with them, go to them, tell them, I want to submit and surrender my life to Jesus. What's the next step? And they're going to pray with you and they're going to help you take that next step. But I want to pray specifically for the rest of you in here. I want to pray because I know that even after you've received Christ, many times we can, sometimes it's hard to get rid of those labels and get rid of those old things and old patterns. I want to invite you to repent of those things, to release them, to put them to death, and to receive what God says about you. Father, you know all of the false IDs. You know all of the false identifiers that we've walked in and that we've navigated through. Lord, I'm asking, Lord, in your spirit, in your love, in your mercy, that you reveal the areas that we need to repent of. Lord, that you would remove every false label, every false identifier, that you would give us a new name. That you would redefine us. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in the fullness of what you have for us. Lord, that your glory would be revealed, that your image would be revealed in the earth. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give him praise this morning? again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.